we'll be concluding our study on Daniel chapter 8, uh, which we began a fortnight ago. Um, and so, as we discussed uh, last class, Daniel had the second of his visions during the reign of Belshazzar in Babylon, which uh, is described in detail in the first 12 verses of this chapter. And so, as I mentioned last class, this follows on from the vision Daniel experienced in chapter 7. Both visions focus on the development of the Roman Empire, symbolised by the little horn which came up from among, among other horns, and that grew in power and arrogancy. It practised and prospered, as verse 12 says. And chapter 7 focused on the development of the western section, and chapter 8 describes the development of the eastern section of the Roman Empire, and which together correspond to the two legs of Nebuchadnezzar's image in chapter 2. So as we know, Daniel initially saw a ram which had two horns pushed westward, northward and southward, as we read in verse 4. No beast was able to stand before him. He did according to his will and he became great. And we're left in no doubt as to what that ram represents, as we see in verse 20, that the ram of two horns are the kings of the Medes and the Persians. As ferocious and all-conquering as that ram was, there came another beast from the west, a he-goat with a notable horn between his eyes. And the he-goat was furious and filled with anger. And it smote the ram, broke his two horns and cast him upon the ground and stamped upon him. So I've just got... Again, we're left in no doubt as to what the he-goat represents, as in verse 21, we read, And the rough goat is the king of Grecia, and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. The first king, which was the great horn, was of course Alexander the Great. And as great as Alexander was, at the height of his powers, he died, and his empire was divided between the four generals of his army. And we see that in verse 8 when the great horn was broken and for it came up four notable ones towards the four winds of heaven. So we then read in verse 9 that out of the four notable horns came forth a little horn which waxed exceeding great. And this was the beginning of the Roman Empire which conquered the south, east and the pleasant land being the land of Israel. And the little horn was very significant, as we see in verse 11. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. It was the Romans who put Jesus to death and destroyed the temple in AD 70. And as we read in verse 12, and an host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression. And it cast down the truth to the ground. And it practised and prospered. And so because of Israel's transgressions against Yahweh their God, the temple was destroyed. But also because of the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ by the hands of the Romans, there was no need for further sacrifices and offerings according to the law. But 
the Romans then went on to paganise Christianity and cast the truth to the ground. The Roman Catholic Church then grew and practised and prospered. So in summary, the, the vision Daniel saw while still in Babylon represented the rise of the Medes and the Persians through to the Roman Empire. And this was the end of the vision given to Daniel. And at this stage, Daniel wasn't given an interpretation and the, and the spectacle which he had seen must have had him deeply perplexed. And we must keep in mind that the vision occurred to Daniel while he was in Babylon, and uh, while Babylon was the ruling world empire and still seemingly invincible with Belshazzar reigning and he would reign for another three years. And then in verse 13, Daniel is then given the privilege of hearing two angels talking to each other about this vision and discuss, discussing the time periods laid out in God's timetable. And later, two more angels come over and they join in the conversation. And so we can see that the angels themselves, they, they had limitations in their knowledge and, and they, went, they joined together and they wanted to discuss and they wanted to learn and talk about God's plan with the earth. And as 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 says, the angels desire to look into these things. And the angels themselves, they had a strong desire to, to know about the, the time periods that God has in store for Israel and for the redemption of his people and for his ultimate plan and purpose with the earth. As we see from this translation, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. So the angels are serving the saints. And like Daniel, they wanted to know when will all things be fulfilled. And they may have been discussing this amongst themselves, but it was revealed unto Daniel and it's been recorded for us. So things are not occurring haphazardly and uh, without plan and purpose regarding God's timetable of the kingdom and the Jews. There is a set time laid out in the plan of God as we, as we read in Psalm 102 verses 13 and 14. Thou shalt arise and have mercy upon Zion for the time to favour her. Yea, the set time has come for thy servants take pleasure in her stones and favour the dust thereof. And so the angels knew this and they eagerly anticipated when the set time will come. And they also talk, this, they talk about this amongst themselves, about when will be the time to favour Zion. And so it goes without saying that this should also be the focus of our lives and our conversations. In Daniel chapter 8, verse 13, we read, Daniel heard one saint speaking. And the word saint means a holy one, one separated and sanctified. And so here, of course, it can only be referring to an angel. And this was the third time that Daniel had a direct witness to a holy one. So if we go back a few pages to chapter 4, verse 13, we read there, 
I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and an holy one came down from heaven. And if you turn over a, a few more pages to chapter 7, verse 16, we read there, I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. So Daniel asked one that was standing by or, or an angel, what did this vision in chapter 7 mean, which we were previously considered? We also can see that Daniel, this was his character. He wanted to know. He wanted to always know what do these visions mean. He earnestly sought for interpretations. So turning back to chapter 8 and verse 13, the vision was now ended. And Daniel now hears an earnest inquiry of an angel watching these things and wanting to know the time period associated with the downtreading of Jerusalem and its restoration. He heard an angel speaking, but this time that angel wasn't speaking to him. And another angel said unto that certain saint, and so the Hebrew word translated certain saint is palmoni, which means wonderful numberer or a numberer of secrets. And so he seems to be the angel who is in charge of numbering secret time periods for God's plan. So palmoni was the first angel speaking here. And as he was in charge of the chronological sequence of, God, of the events in God's timetable, another angel approached him. And so then Palmona was then asked the question, how long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? So we can see the angels' minds themselves, they were stirred by this vision given to Daniel. And so the question asked Palmona was regarding verse 11, where the, where the little horn of the goat, uh, which, which waxed exceeding great, and when we read in verse 11, by him the daily sacrifice was taken away and the place of the sanctuary was cast down. The angels knew this is very significant. And the significance of this verse is also emphasised by our Lord Jesus Christ who quoted this passage amongst others in Matthew chapter 24 verse 13. If you'll turn there. Matthew chapter 24 verse 15 is of course the Olivet prophecy. When will all things be fulfilled? We turn to Matthew chapter 24. What will be the signs of your coming, Lord? The, the disciples asked him. So what did Jesus say? Jesus said in verse 15, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand, so Jesus tells his disciples that a sign for them to look out for was the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place. And clearly says he's referring to the prophecy of Daniel. So the abomination of desolation Jesus was referring to as the Romans who were abominable to the Jews. And they made Jerusalem desolate which they were shortly to do by their besieging of the city and the ultimate destruction of the temple, which would occur in about 40 years from the time Jesus said these words. But look, Jesus then made the comment, 
Whoso readeth, let him understand. Jesus wanted his disciples to read the prophecy of Daniel, amongst other chapters, and most importantly, he, he wanted them to understand it. And so as we see, as we saw in Daniel chapter 8, even the angels, they wanted to understand this prophecy. And they wanted to know, how long will the sanctuary and the host be trodden underfoot? And so if we turn to Luke's record uh, of the Olivet Prophecy in Luke chapter 21, we, we again see that Jesus was referring to this passage in Daniel. If we turn to Luke chapter 21, and verse 24. And again, we know these well, but again, you see them in new light when, you've, when you're doing the study of Daniel. And we read here, uh, Jesus said to his disciples, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So Jesus says that when the Jews fall by the edge of the sword, that Jerusalem will be trodden down of the Gentiles. Again, that can only be referring to AD 70, when the Romans destroyed the temple, which our Lord knew from reading the prophecy of Daniel chapter 8. So if we turn back to Daniel chapter 8, and we see there in verse 13, Daniel used the phrase there in verse 13. He used the phrase, the sanctuary and the host will be trodden underfoot. So the Lord Jesus Christ was no doubt using the same term that Jerusalem will be trodden down of the Gentiles. And the Hebrew word translated sanctuary here is a different Hebrew word translated sanctuary in verse 11. In verse 11, the, the Hebrew word means, means a temple, a sanctuary. But in verse 13, the Hebrew word is kodesh, which means holy, set apart, or sanctified, more of a general term. It's a very similar word to the Hebrew word kadesh in these verses, which is translated saint. Kodesh occurs frequently in the Bible and can signify a holy people, holy ground, place, city, or a thing. So Jesus, Jesus in Luke 21, Luke 21, he referred to the whole city of Jerusalem as being holy, the holy place. And the phrase trodden underfoot is one word in the Hebrew, and one occurrence is in Isaiah chapter 5. And so let's turn that quote up. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 5. And so for context, we'll, we'll take it up from verse 3. And so Isaiah chapter 5, this section was quoted by our Lord Jesus Christ uh, in a parable in Mark chapter 12 about a, a certain man that planted a vineyard and, a, and set a hedge about it and digged a place for the wine fat and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. But the husbandmen beat the servants uh, sent to the vineyard and finally killed the well-beloved son. And we read in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to, 
I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. So the Hebrew word translated trodden down is the same used by Daniel chapter 8, verse 13, where it's translated trodden underfoot. And so the angels no doubt knew that the vineyard which is in Israel would be trodden down because it brought forth wild grapes which were not pleasant to the owner of the vineyard. And as we see in verse 7, for the vineyard of Yahweh of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. But he looked for judgment, but behold oppression, for righteousness, but behold a cry. And so the oppression of Israel, it had to be punished. But it wouldn't be forever. It would only be for a set time. And so an angel approached Palmonide, asking him, well, how long were the treading down before? And so if we turn back to Daniel uh, uh, chapter 8, and we read in verse 14, And he said unto me, Unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. <coughs> so even though an angel asked Palmoni, well, how long will the holies and the host be trodden underfoot? Palmoni turned to answer the question directly to Daniel. He said unto me, Daniel writes. So Daniel was witness to this conversation of the angels for his benefit and of course for ours as well. And so there was a set time, and then the sanctuary would be cleansed. It would be for 2,300 evening mornings, as per the margin. And that's, that's exactly how the Hebrew has it, 2,300 evening mornings. And that's the time period of a Jewish day, of, a, of an evening morning. And as we know, that's first used in Genesis, denoting a full day of 24 hours. But if we consider Psalm chapter 30, verse 5... We can see that this expression also denote, denotes a full a time period. It's just a matter of reading the Bible in context. So there's no question that Genesis is referring to an evening morning of a literal day of 24-hour period. But if we look at Psalm chapter 30, verse 5, we can see contextually it can symbolise a period of time, as I've got it on the PowerPoint. For his anger endureth but a moment, in his favour is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And so we have an evening and a morning. This evening and morning is obviously symbolic, representing a period of time, not a literal day. So the anger of Yahweh and the period of Israel's treading down is for 2,300 periods of time before the joy will come in the morning. So looking at Daniel chapter 8, verse 14, it's logical for the day, uh, day for the year principle that, Pal that uh, Palmona was referring to when he, he said that before he said that joy would come to Israel. But a, a, a good question to ask is, well, when do we begin numbering 2,300 years? We need to know the beginning of the time period to accurately, accurately count uh, its ending. 
And the period Paramo and I had numbered began with the vision of, uh, of this chapter in verse 7 of the emergence of the Greek empire symbolised by the goat. And that goat with fury smote the ram and brake his two horns. And so these, as we discussed last class, were the two notable battles, uh, both of which Alexander the Great conquered the Persian Empire. The first being the Battle of Granicus in BC 334, and then the Battle of Issus in BC 333. At the Battle of Issus, the destruction of the Medes and Persians was absolute. So the beginning time period was BC 334-333. And if you add 2,300 years to then, you come to AD 1967. And as we know, that's a very significant date in Jewish history because in 1967, there was the Six-Day War. And in case there's, there's any accusation that Christadelphians have manufactured this time period to, to end in the 1967 and the Six-Day War, in the non-Christadelphian work, Reason and Revelation, published in 1868, Robert Milligan, he writes the following comments. I will add a few words here touching the probable time period when the sanctuary will be cleansed. The principal difficulty consists in fixing the terminus a quo, or the epoch, from which the 2,300 years is to be reckoned. It seems most probable, however, that this period is to be reckoned not from the rise or birth of the ram, as some writers have alleged, for he was in full strength and vigour when Daniel first saw him, but from the time when he was first attacked by the he-goats. Now, if this assumption is warranted by the context, it fixes the beginning of this period to the spring of the year 334 BC, and consequently, it will terminate in the spring or about the middle of AD 1967, as I said, written in 1868. So we can see that in 1868, Bible students who didn't even have the truth worked out that Daniel, he didn't witness the birth of the ram or the birth of the he-goat. And therefore, the key starting point was it being smitten by the he-goat. And this is what Palmoni numbered from until 2,300 periods of time, which culminated in the cleansing of the sanctuary, which is about the middle, or actually June, 1967. And as we know, the Six Days War gave an overwhelming and an unexpected victory to Israel. And the key outcome of that war was that the Jordanians, who had control of Jerusalem, were decisively defeated and driven away from that city of Jerusalem. So that after more than 2,000 years of domination by the Gentiles, Jerusalem was freed and occupied by the Israelis. And so the Hebrew word translated sanctuary in verse 14 is the same as verse 13. It means the, the holy city, the holy land or people. And so a question that, that we may ask, and even the one that I've been perplexed is, well, yes, yes, that fits, and, but, but surely we, we can't say that in 1967 or even up until our day was, was Jerusalem or any part of Israel cleansed, as we might expect that word to mean. And so the Hebrew word translated cleansed is more accurately translated justified or 
uh, or, um, as per the margin. Rotherham translates the Hebrew word as vindicated. So 1967 was, was a partial fulfillment of the vindication of Israel and the times of the Gentiles being fulfilled as per the words of our Lord Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 21. It was the commencement of the next period of Israel's history when they regained control of Jerusalem and declared to the world that they were the chosen people of God. Although that won't be fulfilled until Jesus is back in the earth and reigning as king. And so in exposition of Daniel, Brother Thomas wrote, Let it also be observed that this does not teach that the avenging of the holy is to commence immediately. It only gives us to understand that when that period is past, the next series of events in relation to the Holy Land shall be the manifestation of things necessary to wrest it from the Gentiles and to avenge it in their overthrow. And again, the remarkable things about the words of Brother Thomas is that it also was written in 1868, almost 100 years exactly from the Six-Day War. And so when, when we read in verse 15 that when Daniel had seen the vision that he sought for the meaning, and, and the Hebrew word translated sought, it's very strong in the Hebrew. And so we can read over this verse and not realise the earnest desire that Daniel had to understand the meaning of, of not just this vision, of all the visions that he saw throughout the whole book. According to Strong's Concordance, the Hebrew word translated sought means to search out, to strive after, after to ask, to beg, beseech, desire, inquire, make inquisition or request. It was Daniel's strong, passionate desire to understand the word of God. And as, as also we see in, in chapter 9, verse 3, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And brothers and sisters, we also should have just such a strong desire to, to accurately understand the word of God, just like the angels want to. And so Daniel's strong, passionate desire to understand the vision was answered with the appearance of another man before him in chapter 8, verse 16. And as we see in that verse, this man was the angel Gabriel. In chapter 8, verse 16, Daniel heard another man's voice between the banks of Eli, the very place he saw the vision of the ram in, in verse 2. The man in verse 16 which spoke to Gabriel is not named. And there's some suggestion that it's the angel Michael which, which worked with Gabriel and, and, and asked him to make Daniel understand the vision which he'd seen. He said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. Then Gabriel came towards where Daniel stood as we see in verse 17. And Daniel was standing upright. But when the angel Gabriel came towards Daniel, he became afraid and fell upon his face. And so this was going to show to Daniel that the, the fulfilment of this vision would occur after Daniel's death. Then Gabriel said to Daniel, Understand, O son of man, for the time of the end shall be the vision. 
And as we see in verse 19, for at the time appointed, the end shall be. During the appointed times of the Grecians and the rise of the Roman empires, Daniel, he would be sleeping in the dust of the earth, as Daniel was shown in verse 18. Now, as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground, but he touched me and set me upright. So although Daniel would be dead when the vision would be realised, he was assured that he would be resurrected at the conclusion, when Jerusalem will, will truly be cleansed. He stood upright, or as the Hebrew literally says, he made me stand upon my standing. And the Hebrew means to stand in his particular appointed place. Daniel was assured that he would be given an appointed place when he was resurrected. In the Hebrew, the word only occurs nine times in the Bible. And besides the book of Daniel, where the word occurs three times, every time it's relating to a pointed standing place of a, of a priest or a king or a Levite. I'll show you some examples. Turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 16. So we're looking at the times of, of the kings. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, and we'll read verse 15 for context. We're now we're at the times of Hezekiah. So it's interesting we're going to refer to the good kings of Judah. And we read there in verse 15, Then they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the second month, and the priests and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought in the burnt offerings into the house of Yahweh. And they stood in their place after their manner, according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood which they received of the hand of the Levites. So we read the priests and the Levites stood in their standing as per the margin. It was their set place. They had a set place to minister during the Passover feast on the 14th day of the second month, which was an exception to the law of Moses. And as we read in verses 18 and 19, For a multitude of the people, even many of Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet did they eat the Passover, otherwise then it was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Yahweh pardon everyone that prepareth his heart to seek God, Yahweh God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. So that's the language of Daniel. He prepared his heart to seek God. We read that in Daniel chapter 9. He set his face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications. So as Daniel set his, far, his heart to seek God, he would be given a place in the kingdom to minister for Jesus, who the Passover was but a type. And so while we're in Chronicles, Let's go over a few pages to 2 Chronicles chapter 35. And we'll read verse 10. So the service was prepared and the priests stood in their place and the Levites in their courses according to the king's commandment. And so this is now the Passover that Josiah kept. 
The priests and the Levites, they stood on their standing. They stood in their place. They had a set place to stand, to minister to the king, to the king's commandment. Just like Daniel will when Jesus returns. And so what do we know about this king, King Josiah? If we refer to chapter 34, verse 3, when he was 16 years of age, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. Seeking God was a priority for him. And as we read in chapter 34, verse 31, And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before Yahweh to walk after Yahweh and to keep his commandments and his testimony and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant which are written in this book. So the king had a set place to stand. And that's because of his determination to serve God. And this happened to Josiah and Daniel. And to Daniel, Hezekiah, Josiah and the Lord Jesus Christ will again have a set place to stand on the earth because they sought Yahweh their God with all their heart, with all their soul to perform the commandments of Yahweh. And Jesus said that this was the greatest commandment and we can see why. If we do these things, we too will stand in our set place, will stand in our standing on the earth when Jesus returns. So if we turn back to Daniel chapter 8, Daniel now was given an explanation of the vision he had seen in verse 19 onwards. In Daniel chapter 8 and verse 19, we read, And he said, Behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end of the indignation, for at the time appointed the end shall be. And the Amplified Bible translates this verse as, And he said, Behold, I will make you know what will be in the latter time of the indignation of God upon the ungodly, for it has to do with the time of the end. So Daniel's told that the vision had to do with the time of the end. But just before the end, Yahweh's indignation will be poured out upon the fourth empire, the vision of the ram and the goat were just by introductory to the time of indignation, when Yahweh will pour out his anger upon the particularly evil fourth Roman Empire. Then going through the verses here, verses 20 and 21, Daniel's given the explanation of the vision that the ram of two horns represented the kings of the Medes and Persians. The rough goat is the king of Grecia, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. It was a great horn, and this corresponded to Alexander the Great. The period of 2,300 years for a day began with his victories over the Persian Empire. In verse 22, Daniel was told that arising from the death of Alexander the Great, the four generals of his army would take the four corners of his empire, beginning at the Battle of Ipsus in BC 301. And so the NIV translates verse 22 as... The four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation but will not have the same power. And the Amplified Version translates verse 22 as, And as for the horn which was shattered, in whose place four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise out of his nation, but not having Alexander's power. 
So the death of Alexander the Great was a terminal weakening of the Grecian Empire. It was then ripe for the picking. And the Grecian Empire was then absorbed into the growing might of the Roman Empire, which happened over a number of years from BC 168. So the prophetic image which Nebuchadnezzar saw in Daniel chapter 2 was transitioning from the belly and fire of brass to the legs of iron. In verse 23, we read of the latter time of their kingdom when the transgressors, transgressors are come to the full. The transgressors coming to their fullness would be the wickedness of the Jewish people. But they did not realise it, far be it, but the, the time of Christ, they were at their utmost point of rebelliousness in God's estimation. They were so far removed from, from obeying God that they fulfilled the scriptures in crucifying the Son of God. The wickedness of the Jews at this point was beyond reform. And the only remedy was the destruction of the temple and the scattering of the Jews into the four corners of the world. And so the rest of the verse explains the little horn in verse 9 which came up uh, of one of the four horns. We continue reading in verse 23, A king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. This king that would arise after the Grecians would be fierce and would understand dark sentences. Or what that means is something puzzling, something, a, a riddle. The next kingdom after Greece would be able to understand what the others could not. And I think this is referring to the fact that the Romans introduced the Latin language, which was as far away as from Hebrew as possible. If we consider Deuteronomy chapter 28, and we read in verses 49 and 50, Yahweh shall bring a nation against thee from far, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand. A nation of fierce countenance, which should not regard the person of the old, nor show favour to the young. The Romans understood dark sentences, being the Latin language, which was, which was a complete mystery to the rest of the world. Moses wrote their, their tongue or their language, you won't understand. And as we read, uh, the Romans were of fierce countenance, which completely stamped in pieces the Jews in AD 70. And this is what I believe Daniel was referring to when he saw a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences stand up. He saw the Roman legions take control of the Holy Land. And in Daniel chapter 8 verse 24 we read that, And his power shall be mighty. In chapter 2 verse 40 uh, we read there, The fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things. Or if we turn back to chapter 7 and verse 19, we read there, Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron, and his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. The strength of the Romans was never questioned. But we also read in chapter 8, verse 24, And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And this has an echo of verse 22, Four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. 
As powerful as the Roman Empire was, its power was not its own, but it was given to it by God. As Daniel chapter 4 verse 17 says, The Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and set up over it the basis of men. And last class we referred to John chapter 19 verses 10 and 11 when Pilate vaunted his power for our Lord. Jesus then explained to him that the power given to Rome was, was given to them from above. And so we also read in Daniel chapter 8 verse 24 that he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. Gabriel told of the destruction that Rome would inflict on the Jews in AD 70. He shall destroy wonderfully, or in the Hebrew that's actually extraordinarily, he will destroy. The destruction was beyond human belief, but it was a punishment of, of God on the Jews for their final and ultimate act of disobedience in crucifying Jesus. The Roman legion would be prosperous in practice, or be successful and accomplish what it is set out to do and destroy what should have been God's holy people, the people of Israel. And we then read in verse 25, And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. And so the Hebrew word translated policy is usually, tra is usually translated understanding or wisdom. And the Hebrew word translated craft is usually, usually translated as deceit, and it means a fraud or, or treachery. And the ESV translates this sentence as, By his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. And so Daniel was shown an overview of the power of the fourth beast, the Roman Empire, and how it morphed from a, from a great military power to a religious power. And the shrewd investments of the Roman Catholic Church made it the most powerful and rich organisation on the planet. But, but it was more than the investments on the property market which made it prosper. It was its deceit, its fraud, its treachery, and that made it the global behemoth which it became. We then read in the King James Version, And he shall magnify himself in his heart. The ESV translates this as, and in his own mind, he shall become great. And the papacy grew in their, in their own prestige and wealth, but it was wicked in the eyes of God. And pride, that's the hallmark of the papacy. And we also read then, and by peace shall destroy many. Again, what an incredibly accurate prophecy of the Roman Catholic Church. If we consider Revelation chapter 18, verse 7. We can see a marvellous cross-references to these verses where we read there, How much she have glorified herself and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her, for she said in her heart, I see the queen, and, and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. And the context here is the destruction of the Roman Catholic Church and the pride and the arrogancy of this institution. It was beyond the expectation of this system that anything could touch this system of iniquity. It believed it was a queen and not a widow. It well and truly magnified itself in its heart. And as we know from chapter 17, it, it was a harlot that rode upon the beast. 
It was clothed in purple and scarlet colour and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. Daniel also wrote, And by peace shall destroy many. Again, if we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we see again a latter-day application to these verses. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3, For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman of child, and they shall not escape. So Israel itself will be beguiled by the calls of peace and safety, and then sudden destruction will come upon them. Daniel had already said, By peace shall destroy many. So if we now continue reading Daniel chapter 8 and verse 25, we read, And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. So the Roman Catholic Church is deceitful and crafty. With its cry of peace, many people have been and will be destroyed. But when Jesus returns, he'll call all men to repent and to obey him. And this will raise the eye of the harlot system, who will stand up against the prince of princes. And this is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is actually the second time our Lord is referred to in this chapter. In verse 11, which we considered last class, the Lord Jesus Christ is referred to as the Prince of the Host. And so, as we talked about last class, Pilate told Jesus that he had power to crucify Jesus or release him. And Jesus answered that Pilate could have no power at all, except it were given to him by God. But in verse 25, Jesus is now the Prince of Princes, or the King of Kings. And this time he would destroy completely the false prophets the evil system of the Roman Catholic Church. At that time, finally, the kingdom of men shall be broken without hand or by no human hand, as the ESV renders this. And the Hebrew word for broken means to be broken in pieces. And that's, again, very similar wording to the stone cut out of the mountain in chapter 2, verse 34. So let's go back a few Verses to refresh our memory on that verse, Daniel chapter 2, verse 34, where we read, Thou sawest uh, till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that, was, that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. The stone was cut out without hands. It wasn't a work of man, but the work of God, which destroyed the image and broke it to pieces. So turning back to chapter 8, this now ended the explanation given to Daniel by Gabriel. Gabriel told Daniel that he first saw the Medes and Persians conquering all before them, but then saw the fury of the Grecian Empire stamp upon them. The Grecian Empire was divided into four with the death of Alexander the Great, who is described as the great horn between the eyes of the rough goat in verse 21. The Grecian Empire was absorbed by the might of the Roman Empire, who we read in verse 23 was a, a king of fierce countenance. The Romans were a mighty military power, no doubt about it, 
but it was their deceitfulness and their treachery which destroyed many. It was the harlot system of the false religion which would cause it to stand up against the prince of princes in the end. At this time it would be broken, not by an army of human soldiers, but by the power of God, which would destroy the image which Nebuchadnezzar saw. And we then read in verse 26, And the vision of the evening and the morning which was told is true. The vision of the evening and morning, the, the vision we saw in verse 14, the vision of 2,300 evening and mornings is true, or it's a certainty to be accomplished. Daniel told it was certainty in the mind of God. Nothing could stop the time period of 2,300 years from the Battle of Granicus in BC 334, the Battle of Issus in BC 333, to the time of the end. And that's for time which us is a historical event, 1967 and the Six-Day War. Daniel's then told to shut thou up the vision, or seal the vision, for it shall be for many days, which means it will be for many days before it will be accomplished. And when Daniel heard this in particular, that before the sanctuary would be cleansed, it would be for many days, he fainted and was sick for days, as we read in verse 27. He was so moved by this vision and his love for the Jewish people that he became physically sick to see the Holy Land trodden underfoot for so long, and especially the wickedness of the little horn which came up and would destroy the holy people. And so afterwards Daniel rose up and did the king's business. And this could indicate that he was sent to Shushan on government business. However, as I said last class, I don't believe that Daniel actually went to Shushan, but what he saw was a vision occurring in Shushan. In any case, he was about the government business, but it was God who manipulated events to give the occasion to show Daniel the visions. The vision physically moved Daniel, but he didn't forget to render due service to his masters upon earth. And the ESV translates the last sentence in verse 27 as, I was appalled by the vision and didn't understand it. And we also should have the same emotion for the people of God and for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ to finally cleanse the sanctuary. What Daniel saw, he didn't fully understand, but what he saw moved him to be sick for many days. Daniel became physically ill by, by the wickedness of the Roman Catholic Church and its corruption of the truth and its persecution of the saints. Daniel loved Jerusalem, and to, to see it being trodden underfoot emotionally upset him. And brothers and sisters, we also should long and pray for the wickedness of the Roman Catholic Church to be destroyed by the Prince of Princes. We should be so longing for, for the sanctuary to be finally cleansed and for God to be exalted with the kingdom of God on earth, finally destroying the kingdom of man. We should long for this so much that it physically moves us. And brothers and sisters, may the final cleansing of the sanctuary occur soon when we, along with Daniel, will stand in our allotted place with Jesus Christ, the Prince of Princes, reigning as King over the earth.